Well, we are starting in Hebrews today, and um, just, I think I've talked about this before. If you ever want to, if you ever miss and you want to listen to what I talked about, or if you want to share it with somebody else, I post all the recordings of these on SoundCloud. So you go to soundcloud.com and then you can search for, if you put in Dan Sullivan, 2 Corinthians, you'll see all of my 2 Corinthians sermons. Or if you type in, if you go to SoundCloud and you type in Dan Sullivan, Ezekiel, you'll see my sermon from three years ago when we were doing a prophet a month and we flew through the book of Ezekiel. <laughs> Whatever. So, um, I don't, I'm not always on it the very week after, but it's on my mind because I wanted to get all of 2 Corinthians all caught up before I started Hebrews. So I try to keep, I try to keep right on it, but I made sure, I made sure to be on it before I started today. So Hebrews, you guys, it is, um, I'm not going to talk about a bunch of the things that we don't know about Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. It's hard to tell. There's all kinds of theories, blah, blah, blah. It's written to people that have become Christians that were Jewish. Probably people in Jerusalem. And it's written not in, probably not around the time of Peter and James, because Peter and James had direct contact with Jesus. And a lot of the people in there in the church at their time, contemporary to them, were really close and were around, you know, maybe one generation separated from hearing about Jesus. But this group is a little bit more detached. And they might not have had firsthand engagement with Jesus. They might not have had firsthand engagement with Peter and James. So this might be just a little bit later um, but there's a temple and the temple was torn down around 67 or 70 so it's before 67 or 70 before the temple got torn down so if Jesus was crucified in 33-ish then remember Peter and John and James were all appearing before the Pharisees and all the stuff we read in the early first half of the book of Acts where Peter was getting thrown in jail and he walked through all the open, all the doors open miraculously and all that. All of that probably happened in the mid-30s AD, right? Right after Jesus was risen from the dead. And then the other stuff that we talked about in Acts and about Acts 15 where the council met in Jerusalem to say, you know, how, how Jewish do you have to be to become a Christian? Do you, have to, do you have to get circumcised? Can you not eat bacon anymore? Does it matter? Remember that whole Acts 15? And then they just opened it up. And from Acts 16 on, most of it doesn't happen in Jerusalem until Paul comes back and gets arrested. But then it's out of Jerusalem again. So this is probably written after all of that. But it's written to people who know about Jesus and believe in Jesus and believe that he is the son of God. 
And so it starts out reinforcing who Jesus is. He's actually not going to mention Jesus for the first two and a half chapters of this. And so some of that points to just like you might sit through a whole sermon and the pastor never mentioned Jesus because everybody knows he's talking about Jesus, right? He is not going to mention Jesus because he's talking about Jesus and everybody knows that he's talking about Jesus. So he's writing to believers. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. All right, so there's, a, there's sort of a, a between-the-lines intent in here that's really cool. When it says, long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Have you ever been, this is a joke, right? Have you ever been to the playground and you, that mom was there that was going to count to three? I'm getting ready to count to three. Don't make me count to three. Okay, she's already said she's going to count to three three times, which is kind of like counting for three, counting to three, right? One, don't make me count to two. Isn't that like counting to two? Two, okay, now I'm pretty sure she's on like five or six at this point. She's giving all of those instructions and all of those warnings because the child is not respecting her authority. So if the child was respecting her authority, and it's okay, kids are kids, age appropriate, all that business, right? But if, if the subject was respecting the authority of the rule giver, the person would say, come on, let's go. And they would go, right? If the police all came in here and they said, put your hands on your head, they would not have to tell me twice. They would only have to tell me once. What's going on here? Oh dear. Many times, in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets. He's already establishing, do you guys remember when we went through the book of Numbers? How many times God was like, Gosh, you guys are killing me. Moses, scoot over. I'm going to wipe everybody out. You're going to be the new Adam. Oh, you people, you want meat? Here's meat up to your knees. How many times God had to say over and over, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you everything. Quit grumbling against me. Then you go through the prophets and the prophets would come. You know, there really should have only had to be one prophet. Right? One prophet, everybody listens to him, does what he says, boom, heaven. No, they didn't listen. And so the writer of Hebrews is already establishing, just kind of rec recognizing, look, we are terrible listeners, right? God has spoken to us and we do a terrible job of listening. But... How many sons did he send to give us this one last message? How many times is he going to repeat himself to say this very one important thing? None. We get Jesus. 
And this is the mom at the playground finally saying, that's it. I am not counting anymore. We're going. This is the final uh, warning sign. There's some places that you drive around in Kentucky and the sign will say road ends in water. (laughs) And they say that sign. It's funny. You would think it. No, you only get one of those signs. So you're driving along and it says road ends in water and you look and there's the water. There it is. You don't get slow down, caution ahead, warning, speed limit. It's boom. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the single authoritative message from God. He is the statement of how God is going to speak to us from now on for the end period. Isn't that exciting? Like, you know, what, which one of your prophets is the favorite? And, and you, we've got all these books of the prophets and they're really cool and there's really neat stuff in there. You can read history in the Old Testament and how God saved these people. And remember all the time Saul was like running and the Philistines were on the other side of the mountain and God would intervene and make thunder and lightning and make all the Philistines flee. God's salvation was speaking through that. But now once and for all, to sum up all of the stories, all the characteristics of God and all how he cares is all been summed up into one message. And that message is Jesus. This man. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. We read this in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Jesus was there at creation. Jesus was there on on Christmas being born, probably during the season of Passover. Jesus was there on the cross dying for our sins, dying for all the times that we did not pay attention when they counted one and they counted two. And don't make me count to three. Jesus was there dying for our sins, rising from the dead. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Whoa. This is the same kind of phrase that they found in some ancient writings talking about a a sculpture that somebody made that looked like their king. And they said, this sculpture is just so good. It is such a well done sculpture. It is the, the exact imprint of the nature of this king. And so this writer is using that same language. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus, in some ways, he is just the perfect copy. He's the perfect representation of God. So there's going to be a whole lot of talk all through the book of Hebrews that if you took one sentence of it, And then if you take things that I say and you took them all by themselves, I would totally commit heresy about the Trinity 
and I would totally mess it up. <laughs> so here's my, here's my, um, I've been, I've been reading a book all about the Reformation and how much they argued about the nature of the Trinity and the details of the Trinity. So I don't want to misspeak the Trinity, three, three persons, one God, God revealing himself and being present. There's a lot of things, ways that that's going to come up in the book of Hebrews. And I, I will not do a good job of explaining the Trinity. I am still completely boggles my mind, the whole concept of the Trinity. But here is Jesus, who is one in being with the Father. The person of Jesus is distinct from the Father. I'm just laughing at myself because I'm trying so hard. I need to not try so hard. Jesus, when you look at Jesus, he said it himself, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So you can look at all the things that Jesus did and know what would God do? What is God like? Look at Jesus. Because we can't see God. Even Moses, who at the time was the closest person to God ever, said, God, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to stick you in, in a, a little canyon crevice of a rock. I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to walk by and you'll only be able to see where I've been. You can't look at me. But when he met with him in the tent, he talked to God like a man talks to somebody else face to face. So there's a, whole, there's a whole lot of room for mystery here, right? Jesus. The point is Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Okay. Radiance of the glory. of There's so many words in here you can dwell on and camp out on and just meditate on. Make them your prayer this week. When you're sitting by a campfire, the, the heat that you feel is radioactivity and energy coming off of the wood burning. Right? You feel that. That is the radiance of the fire burning. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. God's glory is so awesome that when he wants to show it off, he shows it off in his son. So we can trust Jesus. He is how God shows up. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the great word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't know if you guys have seen these pop up on Facebook and they come up on the news, these new, the new pictures from this new telescope that they have in space. And they're able to see galaxies and stars so much clearer than we've ever seen them before. And I have a really diverse group of friends on Facebook and no joke, I have some people that see those stars and see that creation and they worship God. And they're like, wow, God made this. And I have other people that are using this as their existential nothingness. And just like the universe is so big. We are so insignificant. We matter so little. <laughs> it's the exact same picture. <laughs> I was trying to get it arranged so it'd be a screenshot so I could show them both. One person sees it as the glory of God and another person sees it as our meaninglessness. And it's the same picture. Gosh, 
we have we we have a choice of how we want to see these things, right? Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. When I see those pictures, when I see the leaves changing colors, and when I see the cool bugs in our garden, that gives me a chance to be amazed that Jesus has created all of this out of his creativity, out of his wisdom, out of his glory. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This, I mean, this whole thing just reads like a psalm or something, doesn't it? Now, does God have hands? All right. Whenever you read something like this, you're like, okay, what does that exactly mean? Right hand was the hand of power. It was the hand of honor. If you were going to come to my house, which we don't do this, we don't follow these rules because we're not ancient, but... Whoever gets to sit at my right hand is the most honored guest at the table, right? So David comes into town. He drives here 10 hours from Shreveport. He sits down to dinner. I would scoot everybody around the table. Everybody sit different. David's going to sit right here next to me. He's the guest of honor, right? And then Jim shows up. We're like, whoa, Jim Carnahan is here. David, scoot over. Jim's going to sit right here next to me. I, I have been in a culture and I have watched that happen. And I have been the guy that got moved up to the right hand. And then the dude came in with the big old white beard and I got bumped because I had to make room for the big white beard guy. Jesus has forever sat down at the right hand of the majesty of on high. Okay. He is the radiant. Just look at these words. He is the radiance of God's glory. And he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He gets the best seat at the table of the most majestic, powerful being in the universe of whom he is the radiance of the glory of that being. Like we should just stop now and bring in a whole marching band and have worship time. Wow. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent to, than theirs. All right, get ready. From verse 4 all the way to the end, we are going to talk about angels. Just to let you know, here it comes. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? That's a quote from Psalms. There are places where angels are referred to as the sons of God. But God himself never calls them his sons. Okay? So, angels are not offspring or descendants of God. So, let, let's, we're going to talk about what we know about angels. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This was said about a descendant of David, not an angel. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. If he was an angel, we're also establishing that Jesus is not an angel. If all the angels are worshiping him, then he can't be an angel because he would have to worship himself. Right? Just like logic game. 
So he is not an angel. He is a son. Uh, verse seven of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Where this is in context in Psalms, it's talking about how temporary angels are. That as much as we think of it, angels are actually not eternal beings. They have existed for a long time since God created them. Okay, wait a minute. If God created them, they weren't always in existence the way God is. They're a part of his creation, just like my water bottle, just like a tree, just like the earth. So angels are a created thing. And his angels are winds, his ministers like a flame of fire. It's talking about how short they last. Wait a minute. So angels, not only are they not eternal, but they also don't last very long compared to God. So God, who is eternal and lasts forever and will never be destroyed, never go away, will never get old. God created things and some of those created things were trees and strawberries and some of those created things were angelic beings. Okay? So let your mind blow be here. Let's go up here. The devil is an angel. The devil is not Jesus' brother. The devil is not related to Adam and Eve. The devil is not a man. He's not a part of mankind. And so at any moment, as a created being, God could go, and there would be no more devil. But he doesn't. Isn't that wild to think about? So the whole Garden of Eden set up Adam and Eve. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from the tree of life. I really want you to eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As soon as the serpent began to tempt them, he, God could have gone, we're not doing that. Gone. But in order to show the incredible greatness of his majesty and his grace and his mercy... He let this whole thing continue. And he not, I don't think he also, he, he does not desire evil. He does not delight in evil, but he delights in showing his goodness triumphing over evil completely and utterly. And so angels, they're like winds. They're like a flame of fire. But he created these created beings people that we would be eternal and that we would be able to live with him and forever into eternity. So now all of a sudden, wait a minute. So maybe people that are not temporary are more important than angels. Verse eight of the son, he says of the son of God, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your commands. 
The angels can receive one level of glory. Good job, angels. You have done a great job. But for a man, a person to receive this glory is tremendous. For a person to receive divine, divine celestial from God glory is even bigger because he's a man, not an angel. And so God says of my son, my son is going to have a throne forever. And that's Jesus. He's anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. In the, in the, in the Levite priesthood, oil was always a symbol of God's, God's just rich mercy pouring out on you. God's joy pouring out on you. And so to say he's anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, God has put his happiness on you, Jesus. God has poured. So not only is he the radiance of his glory, not only is he seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, but God has dumped all of his happiness and joy all over Jesus. Verse 10, you, lay, you Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Again, he's establishing angels are going to end, but the Son of God and the Son of Man is going to last forever and ever and ever. Now, some people have read that section about rolling up the garment and uh, changing that the whole world's going to end in an earthquake or the whole world's going to end in a meteor is going to hit and the earth is going to roll. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, it's not a biology book. Uh, don't read it that way. Read it as a poetry book. He's being poetic. The whole world, just like you do, okay, just like I do, when I finally have a pair of my awesome pants that I love that are worn out, it takes me a lot before I throw out my pants. They have to be really torn up. They got to have a whole lot of holes in them. The knees got to be ripped open. I mark them with an X. I mark them with an X. And this is a secret, you guys. I mark them with an X by the buttonhole. And I mark them with an X down at the cuff. So when I'm getting ready for work in the morning, I'm like, oh, these pants are pretty good. If I see the X, that means these are yard work clothes only. Do not wear these to the office. You might think they look good at six o'clock in the morning in the dark when you're getting dressed. No. When they're done, they're done. When this world is done, God is going to toss it. Wow. Everything that we work on, everything we've made, everything we've built, if it's not in him, it's going to get rolled up like a garment and get changed. Out of here. But Jesus won't. Jesus will, is the same. His years will never end. And to which of the angels has he ever said? I love this part. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are taught to inherit, who are to inherit salvation? They had all kinds of stories. The Jewish people at this time, they had all kinds of stories of people getting saved by angels. An angel did this, and an angel did that. 
And this rescue happened with the angel. They, would, they had a saying that you couldn't take a spear and poke it up into the air and fit it between two angels because there were so many angels. Above. Remember, they had the whole, uh, all the celestial things are up above us. All the living things are here and all the dead things are down below. And that was like the three-tiered concept. And every once in a while, if something miraculous happened, then layer one, layer two would mix. Or if a curse happened, layer two and layer three would mix. None of those stories, none of those traditions did God ever say to an angel, sit at my right hand. Come be the radiance of my glory. Come be in my most powerful and favorite spot in my presence. That spot was saved for the son. For the son of God, the one and only the last message of warning that wraps up all the prophets of all the ways that God would speak. That is all wrapped up in one who is Jesus. Which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make you enemies a footstool to your feet? All of this. These are all quotes from Psalms that were written by King David, where King David was praying and he was prophesying about Jesus and about the Messiah coming. Even in Jesus's day and even today, now, the Jewish people believed there wouldn't be any more writings. There wouldn't be anything else added to the Torah. That the Messiah would come and teach us all things. The woman at the well, remember when she says, I know that one day the Messiah will come and he will teach us all things. They even believed then that the last and final and complete message from God would be the Messiah. Not an angel. Well, and so all of this is building up. Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Angels are actually sent to serve God's people. Okay, so before we get weird, let's just look in the scriptures where they served, right? Joshua, he's getting ready to go into battle and he sees this dude with a sword. And remember in that day, you knew what country people were from by their swords and he does not recognize this guy and he falls down on his face and he says, are you with me or are you against me? And this person maybe that Joshua C says I am not on your side or on the other side but as the leaders of the armies of God I have come today he came to serve that being there with that sword came to serve whoever was on God's side <laughs> because he was leading the armies of God that day Remember when uh, Elijah is on the hillside and the, his companions, they're all surrounded by this enemy army and they're like, oh, we are just doomed. And he prays, Lord, open their eyes, help them to see. And they look and they see chariots of fire and angel armies outnumbering all of the armies of men that they see all around. Them. Like, Next time you watch some big epic movie like Lord of the Rings or whatever where they have these massive armies, 
Just imagine those guys being on a hill and looking at all these armies and despairing that they're overrun and then having their eyes open to see the angel armies mixed in, outnumbering all of them. Wow. Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So in this day, this guy writing this letter is writing to people and they would actually pray to angels, which goes against all kinds of stuff. And they would pray to specific angels for specific things, which is terrible. You just pray to God. God's your God, not the angels. That's what he's saying here. People would thank angels for rescuing them and doing things. No, thank God. They would have statues made and engraved images, which is like totally against the Ten Commandments, of angels. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. They are just ministering spirits. So let's say I win the Powerball. Oh, I am so glad for Cecil, the dude at the gas station that sold me that ticket. Cecil didn't do anything. He sold me a ticket, right? It's those billion other people that paid money to buy a lottery ticket that all lost that gave me this money. <laughs> all right, commentary on lottery over now. He's saying, don't pray to angels. Don't look to the angels as your source of power. They are the messenger. They were sent by God. They're temporary. Cecil's not going to be working at that gas station next week. They're just ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Um, I've heard of people trying to pray and name their angels. I've heard of people trying to see angels. It's all... That is all the work of the devil to distract you from Jesus. This whole chapter, we've just covered it all. Who is it about? It's about Jesus. God is not sending more messengers. He's not sending new messages. He's not sending more warnings. He has sent his son. So how does this apply? What do we do with this? I was talking to a guy this week and there's this church thing and this church thing and this idea and this structure and it was all confusing and it was really hard and I could feel trying to figure it out. I could feel a physical impact on my life, right? I'm exaggerating. But whenever you get this physical impact on your life of trying to figure out something, do you know what we did while we were talking about it? We went to Jesus. Well, I mean, what if this was about Jesus? What if this question was about Jesus? What if it's not about, you know, whatever, this controversy, that controversy? What if it's about Jesus? And seriously, you could feel the physical change happen from a furrowed brow of consternation trying to solve it to eyebrows up of, wow, Jesus is so awesome. He takes care of everything. He makes everything. He makes things really a lot clearer. Should we do this or this? Well, Jesus, if we make it about Jesus and not about this complicated institutional problem, it makes it a whole lot clearer. Wow. So 
We are going to continue talking about Jesus a whole lot through the whole book of Hebrews, which is very exciting. But go this week and make Hebrews 1 just an excellent guide to prayer. It doesn't matter if it takes you four days to get through verse 1 and 2. But if you just want to know, Jesus, what are you like? Jesus, what are you doing today? Jesus, what effect do you have on the universe? What do you, effect do you have on anything? I dare you to, to pray for a little while and think about verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification of sins, that's your sins, that's my sins, made purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He did all of that, and he was really glad to do it. Let's pray. Lord, you are so great, and we praise you. We praise you that you have done so excellently and we praise you, Lord, that we don't have to figure out the right words to say to the right angels at the right time. That we can just believe in you, the Son of God, risen from the dead and cheering for us from the best seat in the house all the time. We thank you, we exalt you, and we praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.